So, hello, welcome to the eSpot with Camille. I am your host, Camille Cower, and I cannot wait for you to finally meet the woman behind, well, one of the women behind the Kaleidoscope Project, one of the co-founders of this initiative that has just been all the rage and all the talk at Dallas Market and Design Week. And you guys have followed along with the podcast where I've um, interviewed all like, well, so many of the different designers. <laughs> I'm like a dozen of the designers and so on. And so finally, we get to meet one of the um, the the creators behind this great idea, the show house up in Massachusetts, Patty Carpenter. I'm so excited to finally find out from you how you started all of this. But first, uh, I want to share how you got your start in the industry. So tell everyone a little bit about how this all like this wonderful dream that you've created this kaleidoscope project but how did it all start tell us about how um miss carpenter came to be <laughs> well hello camille it's so great to be with you and thank you so much for all of your support for this project and our designers it means the world uh it's such a such a groundbreaking and trailblazing idea that we had and who knew if it was going to actually be able to come to fruition in the way that we envisioned it it far surpassed you know everything that we could have hoped for but yeah it it was a a conversation between amy lynn sportsbart who i think you've spoken to already and myself um and very frank conversation you know talking um her as a, a white jewish woman to me a woman of color uh, in this industry you know about how we can really make something really dynamic and actionable and a true change in our industry around diversity. That's really what the conversation um, began with. But but in terms of going backward, backwards a bit into how I, I got into this industry, um, I am um, a designer by trade and a fine artist. Uh, and uh, got in this, this world of creativity and design through fashion. I was on 7th Avenue here in New York City where I live for about 27 years. And I work with people like Bill Blass and Oscar Dorenta and Ralph Lauren, Adrian Vittadini, and a couple of retailers like the Timberland Organization and the Limited Corporation. Uh, so I really have a, a true sense of, of concept, you know. Yeah, how well, wait, 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 wait. You got to tell us how you got that started. I mean, that's amazing in itself. Like, you don't just all of a sudden start working for Oscar De La Renta just out of the blue. So, no, can, you that's know, true. share those steps because it's... It's not an overnight sensation. And so many times people just assume that what that your path is so like ordained, you know, it's just straight path. And there's been yeah. some curves and some different, I mean, successes in one path. And then you still found success in another path too. Like, you know, so many times people are scared to try a new career or I already made it in this. How could I get lightning right. twice so please share <laughs> That's well, i'm from washington dc originally okay. and was trained as a fine artist my dad's a graphic artist my mom's a writer and so mm -hmm. came from a fairly creative household where um, my sister and i they're just the two of us were nurtured to to pursue creative uh endeavors we weren't thank god like some so many of my friends uh we weren't discouraged from you know some people a lot of people are mm -hmm. you know from taking that creative path because people don't believe you can really make a living and they're, they're you know often it's for what they perceive to be your own good but at the end of the day to have the foundation of two parents that that uh, really supported me and really supported my sister was was certainly the beginning and i started off in fine arts and uh, went to a high school in washington dc uh that where i could be an art major 
and 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 got introduced to something called Workshop for Careers in the Arts, which was a wonderful. Uh, um, at that point, was just it was a workshop. We I left half a day. I went and I painted, and I went and I sculpted, and I went and I worked with like-minded students, you know, with with with, with creatives yeah. who were who were professionals who taught us. And we also had a workshop in theater. We also had a workshop in dance. Dick Allen was my dance teacher, um, so it was really Mike Malone and Peggy Cooper, Peggy Cooper Caperts are who started workshop. We didn't have a high school for performing arts at the time in Washington. It is now the Duke Ellington School for Performing Arts, which I still uh, am somewhat involved with. But that's really what gave me my foundation to sort of broaden my scope. And I looked into costume design initially because I got involved in the theater workshop and I started acting a bit and I started doing costumes and that took me into fashion. So that's sort of how that line came together. And I decided to come to New York and study at FIT, the Fashion Institute of Technology, which is part of the State University of New York here. And I live about 12 blocks from there now. And I still am very involved. I teach a color uh, class in the evenings with a dear friend who's a professor there. She has a, a bunch of us that are, are um, experts in the field that come in and work with students. I speak a lot to students there. I'm involved with several of the different um, of classes. And so I still keep my connection, but I, I, I went to FIT I came out, I literally started working the day after graduation. Uh, my first job was as an illustrator. I have two degrees, one in fashion design and one in illustration. And I started illustrating because of my art background, the Vogue and Butterick patterns, home sewing patterns. I don't know if any of the people that are listening now would remember those, but I was sewing. And so that was a beautiful connection. I met a lot of designers that way because at that time people like Alvin Klein had a home sewing um, you know, pattern for women who, so it came down the runway and you could make that dress at home. And the same thing with Ralph Lauren, you know, and designers like that, several of them had had patterns. And that's really what sort of took me over into that design. My, my, my design bug really got yeah, stimulated. And so um, a good friend uh, and classmate who I'm still dear friends with today had worked with Scott Berry, one of the first black designers on 7th Avenue of any note, Scott, Willie Smith, and um, uh, were, were two of the sort of main ones at the time that, uh, and Stephen Burroughs, all three of them were sort of the the, the height of fashion for, for us in, as, as designers of color um, to look up to. And I got a job with, with Scott and I learned so much. I worked with him for almost three years and I learned so much. And I did this, I did, um, Close with him for Diana Ross and for Ashford and Simpson. And that's really where my fashion bug sort of took hold. And from there, I just kept moving up. And that's how I ended up with Austin okay. and ultimately Ralph. So Diana Ross is like the be all end all for me. Like I live for her. So I have to know what was it like as far as designing for her? What was what was that process like? Was it something where she initiated what it was for or did you guys create something with her in mind and she ended up wearing it? Like, how did that work out? Well, Scott was if you could share. You know, one of the big designers on okay. 7th Avenue. You know, he was absolutely um, one of the names at the time in the late 70s and he was nominated for a CFDA award is what it's called now. Back then it wasn't called the CFDAs. Um, it, and so... Um, so we would have a you know a traditional fashion show during Fashion Week in New York, and people in the front row, you know, would come and sit and see it. And Diana Ross was one of his supporters. And then she would come to the studio, which was on Seventh Avenue, and she'd look at what you know what he had, and we we'd create against what we had 
you know, for her. So maybe it was a special color. We might do something different with a neckline, you know, or something different to create it to make it special for her. And then she either wore them to events or some a couple of times I think she actually wore them on stage. Um, and the same sort of thing with Ashford and Simpson. What was wonderful about them, especially at the time, was he usually wore a shade different than her. Um, and, the, and the material didn't often come in those shades, you know, materials came as they came. Yeah, and so yeah. my favorite story with Ashford and Simpson is I literally dyed Nick's costume in my bathtub on the Upper West Side to be a, a shade light, darker than hers. And the bathroom was stained with this teal color. Oh, wow. <laughs> so but mental I, note, I, never rent to costume designers or, or color specialists. Your bathtub you may to. never be the same. That's it. No. <laughs> It's very, it was, I mean, we were very hands-on at the time, but the beauty oh, wow. of working with Scott was that I got to do full-on things. So I did mm -hmm. everything from um, weaving feathers, you know, through the through a, a bird cage of, of a beautiful silk tape to create a chubby, you know, this beautiful jacket that, in six colors, you know, that would come down the runway. Or I got to, to, to work on shoe design and hat design, gloves and bags, the whole thing. And so I really learned a tremendous amount because we had, you know, our atelier there. We had our drapers and our pattern makers. So I was able to work with people uh, who were just, you know, at the top of their craft and really just like what you see today in, in Paris where people are working with the highest end couturiers. We had those kinds of professionals here in the States at the time. We don't have so many now. And, um, and I got to learn from them. And that's really what gave me my language and my abilities and my expertise to then, you know, move up in my career and to ultimately work with all of these other people. Wow. That's just amazing. I see your resume does not, or not your resume, your bio does not give any of this. So it's like, I love that you just shared all of this and so grateful for being able to ask about Diana Ross. This is like a full mahogany moment for me. <laughs> For those of you who haven't seen the movie Mahogany, go see it. Like, like wow, what an experience. And just yeah. even with Ash, um, Ashford and Simpson, Solid as a Rock, was. Yeah. I mean, I grew up hearing that song. So yeah. it's just how exciting. So, um, so you built this amazing career, worked with all these top designers and celebrities for that matter, have seen your work go up and down the runways in Paris and Milan and all of that. And then all of a sudden you're like, okay, now I want to do homes. So <laughs> where did that transition go from beautiful sample sizes to full on square feet? Right. <laughs> where yeah. did you make that um, leap? It, it was very, yeah. to your point, it is not, it was not a linear journey. It was no. definitely a circuitous one. Okay. Um, but I woke up in 2000. I was working at Ralph Lauren as a VP um, of, of uh, design and merchandising for two brands, the Lauren brand and the Ralph brand. Um, and I... Um, was finding that, you know, at this point I'd been in fashion for 27 years, so a long time. I traveled the world um, and I was part of those teams that were setting up those factories in the Far East, you know, Asia, all over Asia, which is now how so much of fashion is made. And I discovered um, after a couple of years that I wasn't having the same kind of, my juices weren't flowing in the same way that they had for the last 27 years with regards to working in fashion. It really was changing and it was changing into what it has become today, which is less interesting to me because I did grow up having the, the, the pattern maker in the room next door, having the draper in the room down the hall, uh, working with all of these different um, 
um, you know, parts of fashion from the accessories to the clothing, to the, you know, outerwear, whatever we were making, you know, it was wonderful. And I, and I had that hands-on experience and that was slipping away and changing. And we were going into meetings, you know, much more talking about numbers and what the margins mm -hmm. were and those kinds of things. And I'm a creative. I'm a creative at my core. I know that about myself. And that's what gets my, you know, gets me excited and, and, and keeps my juices flowing. And so about five years prior to that, which was 1995, I started working with an organization on my own time uh, that's called Aid to Artisans. And I still work with them today, 25 years later. Yesterday, I was up at 4.30 a.m. <laughs> giving a training to a group of artisans in, in India because of the time difference. So from 4.30 to 7.30, I was giving this training um, uh, module. But the, but the thing with Aid to Artisans was is that they work with artisans all over the world. Uh, and the, old, the whole idea is to help them make a better whatever they make by hand, mm -hmm. and then to help to link them to markets for whatever that product is. And so I started off just working here in the States with them. I would go up to Connecticut, which is where the main offices were at the time, uh, to, the, to the home of the, of the president. A uh, few times a year, we do these, these designer roundtables, mm -hmm. and they put some beautiful ceramic in the middle of the table, and they'd say, they make this in wherever, and how can we help them make it better? And then who could we target for them as, as, a, as a retailer um, to help them find business? So we're building economic sustainability, and we're building cultural sustainability with this work. And that really resonated with my heart. That's that was my artisan to artisan passion. Mm -hmm. And so I started that through a connection from my fashion industry, a woman named Judy Espinar, who started the Santa Fe Folk Art Festival. Um, Judy was on the board of ATA and we had dinner one night when she was coming back from one of their trips and she pulled out all this amazing stuff. She'd come back from Kyrgyzstan and we had this dinner and there, you know, she was pulling all these things out. We were playing with them on the table at dinner. And she said, you really need to be a part of this. Send your resume and a cover letter. I'm going to make an introduction. And I did that and they contacted me and I started working with them. And I am still working with them 25 years later. Mm -hmm. I now work with them. I work with um, NGOs of all kinds. I work with governments of countries. And I've been to 57 countries working with artisans around the world to help them bring their products to market, whether it's a local market, a regional market, or an export market. And that's really the path that I took away from Ralph. Um, they called and offered me an opportunity for a project they had in Mali. I'd never been to Africa. I always had wanted to go. It was a three-year project. I couldn't do it and still stay at Ralph Lauren. <laughs> and uh, I had to weigh that. And I made the decision at the time. It was only my cat and myself that were going to be affected by that decision, <laughs> which I tell the story of people laugh. But literally, it was me coming home and saying my cat's name was Collage at the time. She's a beautiful calico. And I just said, Lash, I think I'm leaving Ralph. <laughs> and I guess she agreed. Long's my lifestyle doesn't change. Do what you want, mommy. Yeah. And uh, so I took it. And the reason that it was going to be difficult was that it was a three-year project. I was going to have to go to Mali a few times in that three years and usually stay about three weeks. And you couldn't take off three weeks just randomly, you know, in the fashion industry, especially then. It was really, you know, we were still very, very much at the height of everything in 2000. And so literally this month, um, August, I am 21 years in my own business. I left Ralph in August of 2000. And here I am today. And I just sort of parlayed those different connections into home versus fashion because it's so much easier to bring in a pillow, right, with an artist than it is to bring in a dress. That's true. That's, so true. that's not really how it started. I started to take um, textiles and 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 bring them in, you know, from the point of view of being a home decor piece rather than a fashion piece, and that was really how I sort of moved across into to home. 
Now, since you're, you are the trendsetter, you are the one that notices um, color and so on, and you teach this at well as well at FIT, I'm curious for you, what have you noticed as far as with so many people working from home, maybe even just looking on t- the different interviews and so on, what trends are you noticing? Because I know I, I kind of cheated. I kind of have an idea of what you're going to say because <laughs> I do stalk all of your <laughs> Instagram pages. So I'm up to date on everything I need to before the interviews and so on. Okay. But just to be safe in case things have changed, what are you noticing as far as the trends for 2021 or tw- going into 2022? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, we're talking 22 and 23 now. In fact, I just mm-hmm. was on a, um, a webinar with Pantone because I'm a consultant with them. And so I'm all Always trying to stay up to date with what they're doing uh, as well, and I, you know, I'm I'm part of a whole community of those of us that write and speak on color and trend. Uh, so, in terms of what I see emerging and what we, as 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 a group, you know, are sort of talking about, there's some some key themes. The first is how important nature has mm-hmm. become. Um, and, and, and mostly because so many of us were, you know, stuck at home and our one escape was to go out into nature in some way, shape or form. Um, and so we see all of those colors that are very elemental, that are very nourishing, uh, that really offer some sort of comfort and that connectedness that we get as humans from being out in nature. So we see the range of neutral shift from the grays that have been ubiquitous for many, many seasons, many years, um, into the warm tones, the browns, the beiges, uh, those really earthy elemental colors from the deepest dark soil, you know, kinds of colors all the way through to beautiful grayishes and beiges, mushroom tones we're talking a great deal about. A lot of us were cooking with mushrooms, gourmand trends really called on mushrooms. So all those sort of gray beige colors, warmer whites, you know, an extension of that, so not that sterile, bright, you know, white, like your-, your Nobody wants oxygen. hospital looks. <laughs> so you see yeah. colored white where we have a couple of drops, maybe gray or beige in the white. We call it hopeful in our forecast, but it's about that idea of a blank canvas, you know, coming out of this that we're going to want to write on. Uh, when I was in High Point just a couple months ago, saw lots of white sofas, was really surprised, you know, in white seating, but we're definitely seeing that as, as, as a home trend um, and lots of raw materials. So a lot of that white and neutral kind of color comes through in natural and sustainable materials. So that also feeds that trend. Um, we see the, the ranges of greens continue to be very important, elemental, herbal, you know, all of those things, either again, from cooking, we, we, went, we did a lot of gardening, we did, you know, we did a lot of uh, growing our own vegetables, you know, those kinds of things are, are very, again, nourishing for our souls, comforting to us. Mm-hmm. So we see that range of greens um, that have those elemental and herbal and vegetal qualities. Um, with a little bit of the citrusy yellows starting to come into 2023 with the yellow, you know, yellow infusing into the green. And then the last is sort of the warm tones, lots of the, well, not the last, but uh, one of the others is those, those corals, things that started off with terracotta. If you think of terracotta, it's been around for centuries. It's one of those elemental, I call it kindred kinds of colors. We, we resonate with it as human beings just from, you know, we ate out of it, we built out of it, you know, it, it was really that thing that took care of us. So those warm ranges of terracottas into corals. And then the last thing is the watery blues. Again, the ocean, getting to the water was one of those things we could do yeah. safely when we were locked down. So we see a lot of those watery blues and teals, mid-range blues, like our favorite jeans we lived in, you know, <laughs> we weren't in sweats. Um, so those, those ranges of color we really see as growing in importance. Um, as as COVID has has continued, yeah. And I'm also when I'm hearing all these different colors, I'm thinking also that we were able. A lot of us weren't able to go on vacations or go places, so we were kind of bringing our favorite places home or re yeah. redecorating to kind of look 
bring that indoor or outdoors indoors and so on. So if we are stuck in our office for a long time, it can look like we're at the beach. (laughs) (laughs) So, I mean, at least that was my inspiration is like, I want everything that makes me happy surrounding me at all times now, you know, like don't want to break from it. Yes. And you're definitely the norm in that. That's exactly what everyone is really feeling. And so those things are what has really amped up those kinds of trends as we see ourselves moving forward, you know, and praying that we can get out into those places again soon. (laughs) And not to mention wanting to represent yourself or showing your creative side now that you're not stuck to the limitations of a cubicle. You can kind of express yourself a little bit more um, in your home office or at least your faux office for now. <laughs> so speaking of working and, col- and colors coming together, the Kaleidoscope Project and the beautiful show house up in um, Berkshires, share about how that project came about and why it was so important and needed in the, um, the design community. Well, it, it, it's, 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 it's inception was a conversation, um, as, I, as I said, I think earlier with Amy, Amy Lynn Schwartzbart is my co-founder, and it was really her her impetus to call. Um, we've known each other as colleagues in the industry not well um, before this. We know each other very well now. We're pretty like, intimately now. Yeah, Once we built intimate. a house together. <laughs> um, yeah. But initially, it was just a phone call from her uh, one afternoon to say, you know, are you busy? Can you talk? And we were on the phone for close to two hours, wow. literally just talking about the industry, her feeling as a woman of, you know, a, a white and Jewish woman that she she had just been able, as, as she said, sometimes just not to, 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 you know, to take notice of the fact that there were certain inequities. Uh, mm-hmm. There wasn't a lot of diversity um, and that that it had been fine because it was just sort of the way it was. And she moved through, you know, the way it was. But um, in having some conversations up there, she lives in the Berkshires, full, you know, most of the time she is also back and forth between here and New York City. Um, but she's a rep in the industry, so she moves around the Northeast a lot. And her, her sensibility was that, you know, this is wrong and I can't be a party to being wrong. And it was really right after George Floyd. And so she called me and said, you know, you're a woman of color in our industry and people know you and you have a certain amount of of um, of goodwill that people bring, you know, to you and 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 think of you, you know, as an expert and a and a and a, and a peer in our industry. But I know that there there's nobody else, you know, that like me that looks like me doing what I do uh, mm-hmm. in the same ways that I do with the breadth of voice that I'm able to have. Thank God. And I'm very pleased about and proud of Um and what's that been like for you to be that one person in the room? Or what's that been like for you to be, you know, the only one? And how can we make an actionable change? What would you, you know, how do you see uh, being able to move forward? Started to brainstorm about, a pro- you know, what we could do. And she came upon the Cornell Inn, which is in Lenox, Massachusetts, uh, because it was a design project. And she's an interior designer by trade. And another designer who happened to be one of the designers that worked with us had turned it down. A friend of hers up there, a black woman, uh, Jennifer Owen, our only local designer. She's from Great Barrington up there, a couple towns over. And she mentioned it to Amy, and Amy went and met with the proprietor. We say that the Cornell was basically the vessel 
And what we came up with was this idea to, to bring diversity through a BIPOC voice to the table. We wanted to expand the design narrative. We wanted to showcase those that may not have been heard from or heard about. You know, there are a couple of people that we work with that have been on TV. There are a couple that have been mentioned in, you know, the bigger shelter magazines that people look to as the harbingers of style, you know? Um, but we also wanted to have that conversation about what is beauty, what is design, and is it always just a European sort of take on it and voice about it, and how do we do that? And and we wanted a diversity in, in, in um, where the designers were from. So we have two from LA, we have one from Nebraska, we have one from South Carolina, we have three from the Washington DC DMV area, we have some from outside of Philly. Um, and so the whole idea, and then of course the New York, uh, New Jersey, Connecticut, um, and Massachusetts with Jen. So we really have a diverse voice that way, which is not to say that, you know, New York is the only place that there are great designers or LA, you know, or Chicago or Miami. We wanted to open that narrative up as well. And then we wanted a diversity in, in, in who the designers were. So we didn't, this is not a black show house. You know, the whole idea is we have three Latino uh, designers. We have two Asian designers. Um, we have East an East Indian designer. And the whole idea, again, we wanted that diversity of voice and style. And so by having all that wonderful mix, we ended up with this extraordinary space. We did 21 spaces. We had 23 designers because one of them is a team from Brooklyn. Um, and uh, we, in, in six months time, we tore the 18th century in two of the buildings on the property. There are three, we did two of them. Cause I just, we didn't, couldn't figure out how we could do manage anymore. Cause there were literally just three of us. We called in another friend, um, the woman who used to run the D and D building marketing uh, here in New York, um, Liz Nightingale. So she was our third, um, third wheel in our trifecta as we would be <laughs> like to say. And there was literally just us. We had no committees. We had no staff. Uh, we did involve nine interns. We wanted to give back to the to the to our young people and show them that there were people that looked like them that were out there working. And we also wanted them to have an opportunity to learn from them. So we have interns from FIT, from Parsons, and from the New York School of Interior Design. And so those twenty three people and those nine students and us three pulled off pulled off this this incredible show house. <laughs> and it is amazing. Like to. to Again, I've been stalking. So to see <laughs> the before pictures and just oh. <laughs> the wallpaper with the borders and oh. the furniture and just to see the hopelessness that it started. <laughs> Speaking of hopeful, I mean, it was, I mean, you guys really, not you guys, everyone on this team really had such a vision and so much beauty and love put in these buildings. And even to hear the different um, inspirations behind from the different designers, whether it was a family member or an icon they wanted the room to represent or the different person they envisioned visiting. There's mm -hmm. just so much different places they all came from. And like speaking of diversity, just diversity of how they came about and the inspiration and knowing they had like a palette to work with, but they also had sponsors they were working with. So tell us how that came about as well, because we want to make sure that we um, shout out those different companies that came to the table and really supported this mission and helped financially as well, because that it's an expensive thing to be involved with show houses, which I don't think a lot of times people realize that can be a gatekeeper within itself for people to not be able to get involved or get their work seen is because it's too expensive to 
decorate this house that's not going to be there permanently and the next designer is going to do it in six months or whatever it may be. So please share a little bit about that as well. And we want to make sure we shout out to those people who, um, or those companies that supported this project as well. Well, thank you for saying that because we couldn't have done it without the sponsors. It was it would have been virtually impossible. And uh, so several of the things that you call up were were were, were paramount for us um, in terms of our thought process about how we did this. So the first is that this is a show house inspired event. So that means that in in six weeks it wasn't torn out. It remains. People are staying in those rooms now. And I, by all accounts, because I talk to people all the time, the inn is busy. <laughs> people are staying there. Um, I know from, my, from myself in, the, in the, the three weeks of the show house portion of it, he booked three weddings where they took the wow. whole thing. So I know that, you know, he, there, there's great business being done. And it's no longer an inn in terms of how it feels. It's really a boutique hotel now. So each room is different. We had 18 rooms and 18 ensuite baths. So every designer did a, a, a room and a bathroom in about three months time, um, not even full three months. Um, and it remained and they got to name the room. So there that's where you where you started to talk about their inspirations. They were able to do whatever we wanted. We had no parameters around that with the one exception of in to keep it from looking as Amy liked to call it the hodgepodge lodge, because there were 21 aesthetics, you know, going on. Then me as the color person came at it from the point of view. And so he presented the designers with three color stories and I did them based on what are the tenants? Why does someone go to an inn in the Berkshires? You go for rest. So that was the palette of neutrals. If you wanted to work in the neutral palette, you go for rejuvenation. That was a palette of tones or you go for, reflection and that was the palette of cool tones and so with that was the only thing that we asked the designers to consider when they took you know when they took their spaces then on it was just up to them to do whatever they wanted but the other thing that we wanted to, to do and you addressed this beautifully is that we wanted to remove remove some of those barriers that to your point designers often face when trying to do the larger more well-known named uh, show houses i mean designers can spend 40 to sixty thousand dollars on a room that's gonna be ripped out in six weeks, you know, and, and all designers don't have that. Um, most designers don't have that, you know? And, and, and one of the things that I wanna call out too with the, the group that we worked with was that these are all entrepreneurs. They have all started and and built their own businesses. They didn't come and stand on the on the shoulders of parents or grandparents that have you know this wonderful business that they became a part of. They all started it from scratch. These are really talented, hardworking, experienced, uh, and in, it just wonderful, wonderful designers. So mm -hmm. that was also one of the other things we wanted to do was give voice to them. And then to your point, the way that we were able to do that is through, so we got um, sponsorship and we got 35 industry sponsors for the project with the main people being people like Benjamin Moore, who gave us all of our paint and the shade store who did every window and uh, Sattva who gave us you know, 18 high-end, top-of-the-line mattresses. Um, we had people like Curry and Company and Circle Lighting and Pro Progress Lighting and um, and there's a Blueprint Lighting. Uh, we had Acto Tile, who gave us tile for almost every bathroom. Um, mm -hmm. we, we just, I mean, it goes on and on from Tumoe and Shandon, who not only sponsored us for our opening night, you know, party, but also gave us an incredibly large check, you know? So we got about $800,000 worth of product uh, <laughs> donated to do this project. It was extraordinary. And that's just on those that, that supported, um, 
the Kaleidoscope Project, Universal, SunPan, um, you know, people like that, Gravit, uh, that gave us uh, Schumacher, you know, gave product to the designers. But then each of the designers, because they are in the industry, they do have built, you know, their own businesses, they were able to go to their own people who, if they wanted to have something specific that they wanted to do, which then helped to give them more of their own voice in the room, because we, the, my big thing was in trying to find so many uh, sponsors was that every room didn't look the same. We wanted them to be able to express their aesthetics and they needed to have a plethora of product to do that with. So they also brought in their own. So I did a room, which God knows why, um, but I just, when I walked in, I was so taken by the light and could see color playing in there. And so I named my room after my mom, Vivian, and I brought in some of my own sponsors separately uh, who, you know, who helped, uh, who helped me um, with people like the Phillips collection, you know, who gave, who gave me products. So they did, they may not have, have donated to the entire project, but they donated, you know, individually people had their own people donating individually as well. Oh, that's great. I mean, I love that you had so much support within the community as well because it's it's i mean i've been going to furniture market since i was 15 <laughs> and so it, it was interesting to realize oh wait there's not a lot of people that look like me there at market and because i mean you're you're there looking at furniture you don't really notice right. i don't know you start because it's start, a busy yeah. day and it's you're yeah. like in vegas because there's no windows i mean you mm -hmm. go in and out but still you're just you're caught up with the people you do know there, but maybe right. you don't notice those kinds of things. Well, at least I didn't because mm -hmm. I've been there so long. And so mm -hmm. now knowing all of this, and um, I know you've already done some events already with the Kaleidoscope Project. How has it been received once you're like at market and the support even in person? Like, how does that feel? Just knowing yeah. that you guys came up with this project during the pandemic, basically, and to now be able to like fully Phoenix rising in a way <laughs> where you're coming out of the ashes of yeah. building this beautiful show home, but also to just to get the support in person now and going back to market and so on. And how has that felt as well? Oh, it's been extraordinary. I went to my first market, which was High Point in June. Uh, that was my first in-person market in a year and a half. And people were stopping me in the hallways. I, what was wonderful for me, I know Amy had a little bit of like, hmm, I wasn't part of this, but it's because of who I am. And again, being a woman of color, but so many- Kind of stick out there. Yes, <laughs> so many designers of color just came up and said, thank you. And it was just amazing. You know, it's been amazing when we've been doing things as a group to be in a space where more people look like us, you know, mm -hmm. um, lovely. And to hear those voices, you know, projected out into the world. Um, and the support we've gotten has been just across the board. We had our press day on May 14th. We opened on May 15th. And we, we literally, the first install started in March. So we tore out from the end of January and kept through through March. Um, and then the designers, some of them were able to get there. Some of them were not because of, you know, again, COVID, their distance. Yeah, so and Amy was on site every day, all day, implementing their, their drawings, you know, working with our, our all of our trades. We had up to six wallpaper hangers at one time on property. We had about six different tile, you know, installers on property. You know, it was insane. Um, but so we had support from 
from that end, just to have the, the support of the tradespeople, mm-hmm. wonderful tradespeople in the in the area that came, you know, to to uh, to um to our aid and said, you know, we're here to to make this happen in this amount of time because people know. I mean, we did eighteen bathrooms in the rooms and two other bathrooms, so twenty bathrooms in under three months. People can't get their bathroom in one one bathroom <laughs> in their home done in three months. So people were really there for us. Yeah. And to your point, in the midst of COVID, and and then we've had uh, we gave a wonderful talk at Universal at High Point. Neil um, hosted us in their their wonderful education room, and we had a lovely turnout, especially since there weren't that many people at market. Um, and that was the first time we showed the before and after pictures, and they, people were blown away. We had a couple of our designers that happened to be at market and were able to come by. Um, we're going to do this wonderful thing in Dallas, um, so which I'll talk more about. But we've had we've been written up at this point, probably in about twenty five different places. From Veranda and El Decor was our media sponsor, and a Architectural Digest and House Beautiful. I mean, we've been, you know, we've, we've been really amazingly embraced. And then on, and then the trade publications have certainly supported us as well. So we've gotten a tremendous amount of support where people put it out, and people came to see it. Yeah. And one of our things that we did with the interns was we wanted to give money back, and we raised ten thousand dollars from the show house that mm-hmm. we'll be giving to three separate sponsor, uh, scholarships: one to Parsons, one to the New York School of Interior design and one to the Black Artists and Designers Guild. I sit on the advisory board of Bad Guild and I'm part of their education committee. And so we're going to give um, uh, a scholarship to our education committee there. So we we really had, you know, we had all kinds of, of, of hopes and dreams of what we wanted to do. And we've been very blessed that we've been able to. So we've been written up, we've been supported. And now, you know, comes Michael Bauer and the Dallas team who are going to host this, you know, uh, Kaleidoscope Day on the 20th of September at the Dallas market during the Dallas Design Week, which we could not be happier about. So we're bringing 12 of our designers uh, to that. We're going to have panels all day uh, talking about different topics. And then at the last panel, we four panels talking about different topics and the last panel, all of us together talking about the Kaleidoscope Project. Um, And then uh, we're doing a What's New, What's Next with Curry and Company here in New York on the 29th of September as part of 200 Lexington's designer days that they do um, for market, that's part of their market. So we'll have a day on the fifth floor um, with a talk and, and a raffle. We're gonna raffle off some great products and put that back into our education fund. Uh, we're talking about launching an e-commerce site on our site, the kaleidoscoproject.com. So we're working on that. We wanna host some artisans, you know, artisan product on that. Um, and so we're, we've got a lot of things, you know, that are in the works. And then we're looking at what our next project is going to be, which will not be a show house. <laughs> <laughs> so do you think, it, um, will it be another boutique hotel you're thinking? Something no. that big, something smaller? <laughs> we need a break from that. <laughs> so we, we like, all, we'll never say never, but right, we right. Going to do that immediately. Uh, we're looking at a couple of things. We're in a few conversations. Some interesting things have been brought, you know, to us, and we've had some a couple of brainstorming sessions, Amy and I, about what we'd like to do. Mm-hmm. So um, we'll have some meetings. You know, meetings are going on now about that. So um, we certainly are keeping in touch. One of the most wonderful things is we didn't know neither of us, none of the three of us, uh, Liz included, knew all of the designers. So we now have a much broader and national network, you know, of designers that we know and and have a connection to, which has been extraordinary. And so we all stay in touch and support each other with what, what things are going on. As an example, Sattva, who gave us all the mattresses, is opening mm-hmm. some retail stores. And so in the different places that they open, they want to do some things with the designers that we have in those cities. And so there'll be some other things that our, our, you know, our sponsors are going to continue to do. Oh, and we're thrilled. We're really thrilled. 
that's wonderful because I mean that's another part of this is the opportunities that this is going to lead for those different designers for being involved in the show house for getting that opportunity to get in front of these different sponsors and media opportunities as well because maybe for some they already were on HGTV and we're already at that point where they were in the magazines but for some of the newer designers this is could be life-changing for them this can really put their design business on the map and with it being a group that's been marginalized in some aspects where they're overlooked, this could really make a difference for so many different people and just really open more doors for more people who weren't involved in the Kaleidoscope project, just because now there'll be just more opportunities in general for BIPOC designers and speakers right. and different events and speaking on panels and so on. So exactly. they'll uh, be seen, they'll be considered. That's the whole point for mm -hmm. me. I just, I wanted to 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 broaden the narrative about what design is, about what style is, about what good taste is, mm -hmm. and to say that you know these harbingers of style that we've been holding up for decades are are wonderful. This is to take nothing away from anyone. This is simply to say that there are more voices that should be brought to the table. And when we are all at the table and having these conversations, it makes all of us better creative, you know, creatively. It it opens up so much more when these conversations are happening, and that. That's one of the things that I feel like we had about 34 media people come on the press day, which we did not. I mean, to this tiny town in the Berkshires, right. and as Everett Brown, right? As Everett Brown, the the designer of the lobby and the lounge, who's a New York-based designer, Everett said at our dinner that night when they were all also meeting each other, many of them for the first time. Um, we were not at 86th and Madison, you know, these people had to make a considered effort to drive, you know, to get to the Berkshires mm -hmm. and to this little tiny town. And they came and they were blown away. So many of them said to me, the one thing that stood out for them above all else was that there was warmth, there was personality. They were surprised at how cohesive did feel given the fact that there were all of these voices and they said you know it's very different than going to a wonderful new york based show house uh, where you know you're walking on a two hundred thousand dollar carpet and you're standing under a hundred and fifty thousand dollar chandelier yes that's beautiful but some of it's just because you know how precious it is right. and we had some very expensive things certainly in our show house but it was more about the way that the designers put their voices out there to talk about Whatever their theme or aesthetic was for this space, and they were able to say whatever, as, we, as I said, whatever they wanted to say in the way that they said it. So we got somebody like Ritima, who's a wonderful East Indian designer, um, who has a company called Arteriors in LA. She's a very young designer, kind of new to the industry. Right, she hasn't been in business years, for a yeah. couple of years. She got so much press coverage because her room was stunning, and she did it from the point of view of marrying her culture with modernism. And so those two things coming together, you could feel, you know, those those moments of her East Indian culture, but you could also see how beautifully her, you know, her what she was, she has a great language with color and you could see some of the, you know, the beautiful textures, selections that she made in ways that, you know, a lot of people may not have, but they came together in a way that she's gotten a ton of photography. And now she's having a lot of conversations with people, you know, right. and it's so, cool yeah. like that. you know, it's wonderful. It's really it's wonderful. nice to. I think it's such a great opportunity to really showcase and bring somebody to the table that may have been overlooked, but to see them rise, knowing mm -hmm. that you, you know, it's, I mean, what, what a testament to what a great project it is and how much it was needed. And so great that it's getting such great, uh, 
so much welcoming as well. So I want to make sure that everyone knows how to stay in contact with Patty Carpenter as well as the Kaleidoscope Project. So will you share with everyone how they can stay, or the best way to keep in contact? In touch with me? Well, yeah, you can You can certainly follow me on Instagram. I'm at Patty, P-A-T-T-I-C for the Carpenter Trend Scope. So at Patty C Trendscope, I'm on Instagram. I'm also on Facebook, Patty Carpenter, LinkedIn, Patty Carpenter, uh, Patty Carpenter Creative on LinkedIn, actually. Um, and then our Kaleidoscope project is thekaleidoscopeproject.com. So you can go to our website and keep up with what we're doing and find out what our next, you know, our next events are going to be. And please support us if you can, because again, this money that you're donating there or giving is going to our scholarship fund to to help the next generation of young creatives you can see my hair got very gray during that project <laughs> at least so, you have a good excuse you were creating a beautiful place some of us just got yeah. gray from watching the news <laughs> so, i, I want to be able to pass the torch so we want to help these young creatives so please help us there and stay in touch with what we're doing um and then um you can write me um at patty at pattycarpenter.com P-A-T-T-I at pattycarpenteraltogether.com is my website. Um, but yeah, please keep in touch. And, and I, you know, I work in the worlds now, in addition to my artisan development, the other part of what I do, of course, is color and trend mm -hmm. for our, for our, uh, our industry. So I work in home decor, accessory, fragrance, and gifts. And, um, and so if you need that kind of, of help from me personally, by all means, please reach out. I work with clients all over the world. Maison Objet is my biggest client um, internationally. And I'm getting ready to go to the first Maison Objet in September, God willing. Um, yeah, yeah, I'm Might see you we there. Yeah. yeah, we haven't had one in, in a year and a half. So we're thrilled to be back. We will be smaller as everything is, but very, it's really going to be very exciting because every vendor is bringing new products. So it's all new things. So it's going to be really lovely. Um, and so I, I work with, you know, I work with Color and Trend um, and, and, and work with them. So please let me know if you're coming. We'll look for you. We're going to do something with uh, some of the American buyers. So if you reach out to me, if you're coming, let me know and I'll, you know, I'll include you. Uh, to, to be a part of what we're going to do on the, on the 10th of September. The show runs from the 9th to the 13th. And then I'm still doing a great deal of, you know, talking and speaking and, and, and working with clients on color and trends. So that continues. I've pivoted to doing a lot online, which has been great. Mm -hmm. um, I'm writing a lot more about color and trend um, and, and really enjoying that. Hosting panels, if you have a panel you need a host for or, or a participant, I'm doing all of those things as well. So please stay in touch. Oh, that sounds fantastic. All right. Well, we got a full list of things to keep in contact and to watch your shine. Just keep rising. So thank you again for being my guest today and follow along for more information at CamilleCower.com. And thanks for watching. Thank you so much, Camille. It's great to see you. Likewise.